Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of .NET on AWS. I'm your host, Brandon Minnick, and with, with me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Francois. Francois, how's your week? Um, it starts very, very well. I'm so happy to join you today. Um, it will be a busy week because it's this week. It's uh, AWS Summit London, so I will be uh, at the AWS Summit London. So you can find me at the AWS Developer uh, booth at the summit. So if you're uh, in the UK this week, uh, come on and, and let's have a chat. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so for anybody who hasn't heard of an AWS Summit before, what what is this? What is this summit thing? Oh, so Summit is kind of uh, AWS conference where you can, so you can go there. You can, um, you have a, the day start with a keynote from one of our um, leader, and then you have uh, different tracks where you can select, uh, pick and choose your, the breakout session you want to uh, attend to learn more about AWS. So it's one day all about AWS to learn more. And you also have the, the explore area where you can uh, meet our partner or meet us at the AWS uh, Developer Lounge. Uh, you can also um, uh, try workshop. You you have a game day. So a lot of a lot of um, content, a lot of uh, experience, so that you can learn more about AWS. So one day full of AWS for builder. Cool, love it. Uh, yeah, I've only been to one so far. I uh, went to the one in Sydney uh, a couple months ago, and they had a big, like, almost computer workshop station set up where you could just learn and do <laughs> things on AWS there in real time. Is are we going to have that in London too? Oh, might have lost Francois. Um, That's okay. Uh, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think it's coming in a few issue. So yeah, okay. I think we are good now. We are good now. Uh, right. So yeah, um, yes, we will have workshop. We will have a workshop. Cool. So yeah, come swing by the AWS Summit in London this week. Um, learn all the things about AWS. Meet all the folks working on AWS, and will we have our our .NET booth there as well, Francois? Um, no, no, not .NET Boost, but I'm there. Uh, we have our, uh, you know, the, the, the application we are working on together, Brandon. We will have DevPulse, uh, this All amazing right. application that uh, allows us to, to chat with uh, developers to get uh, what they are, their preferred language, the most important question of, of this application, what is your <laughs> favorite programming language? <laughs> and I, it's, yeah. I love this question because from, from one place to another, it is not yet always the same answer. So we can't oh, very we, different. No, I can see that yet from one place to another we got we got different answers. So sometimes it's C sharp, sometimes it's TypeScript, sometimes it's Python. So love to see uh how people uh in different countries uh, have different uh preference. Love it. Well hopefully we'll see you there. Uh, I've got a, a couple announcements um, this week as well. So if if you haven't met me before, I I am a mobile app developer. So I've been doing iOS and Android apps in C Sharp going all the way back to Xamarin back in the day. And now it's using .NET MAUI. 
And today is the big Apple developer conference. It's called Worldwide Developer Conference that if you make iOS apps, if you even just use iOS apps, even if even if you don't write any code for them, uh, you're going to love it. Uh, this is where Apple comes out every year and they, they basically give us all the previews of the next version of iOS. So um, I think, what are we on? iOS 15 now, 16? I forget, <laughs> but uh, today Apple's going to introduce the next version of iOS. Show, share with us 16, what they're 16. working on. We're at 16. <laughs> so we're going to see a sneak peek of 17. And then this is also when they release all the developer beta preview libraries so we can start playing around with them. And there's all sorts of rumors flo- floating around because, you know, Apple's really secret about all this stuff. They don't tell anybody what they're working on, which is kind of cool, but also kind of annoying. But we might see um, Apple's been allegedly working on these uh, augmented reality, virtual reality goggles. So like their competitor to the Oculus that might debut today. I've been hearing interesting things about Apple opening up the watch OS ecosystem to developers so we can make uh, more widgets for the watch. Uh, But we'll see. It's, it's always my favorite time of year. I like to block off (laughs) the mornings. It's 10 a.m. Pacific. So that's where I'll be tuning in. Uh, But Let's uh let's get back to .net. Let's get back to AWS because uh, we have a really really special guest today. Uh, he's one of my favorite people because he makes the most amazing .net library. If you ever if you ever use GraphQL and .net and you're not using his libraries called Hot Chocolate or Strawberry Shake, then you're probably doing it wrong. But without further ado, let's bring him on the show, Michael Stabe. Welcome to the show. Hi guys, <laughs> Michael. I mentioned uh, I mentioned you're amazing .NET developer, um, one of the smartest in my opinion. Uh, but for folks who haven't met you yet, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I'm Michael Stipe. Uh, I'm uh, nowadays a GraphQL TSC, so I'm working on the GraphQL spec itself. Uh, and I originally created the hot chocolate uh, GraphQL library, which is a GraphQL server implementation. Uh, which is, um, I would say, one of the two most public frameworks in the .NET ecosystem uh, for for GraphQL, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, I'll grab a link. I'll, I'll share it on the screen in just a second. Uh, that's incredible. So, uh, what we always like starting out with uh, anytime we bring somebody on the show because. We found everybody has different backgrounds. Everybody uh, started out as a developer in different ways. So, Michael, how did you get into .NET? When was your first time coding in C Sharp? And so I actually started in Java, like I think a lot of people back then. Uh, I or, or also remember uh, still back then that Microsoft had a, a Java virtual machine. So Microsoft uh, had its own JVM. <laughs> Uh, and uh, because they got into trouble with uh, Sun, they started working on uh, something. I don't know how they even called it uh, back then, but I, I think it was called Com- uh, Comx or something or uh, something like that. And uh, I started looking into the first batches that came out of then Visual Studio .NET 2002, I think. Uh, I just remember it because back then Microsoft would send you uh, CDs with the software on to try it out, like beta versions on a CD. Um, <laughs> that also shows me how old I am, right? <laughs> right who uses CDs anymore? Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't worry. I, I remember that time. I remember that time I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's how I actually started then to tinker with .NET. Uh, and uh, but then there was a lot missing, like if you, if you came from a Java background, but it was so intriguing. And um, yeah, I got stuck with it. Nah. So much, yeah, it was so much new space uh, that you could double into, um, and uh, yeah, that's how that's how I started with .NET. Cool. Yeah, I have similar story. My first language was was Java as well, and and yeah, learning C Sharp was very familiar uh, coming from Java. You know, there's just you know, there's a couple things like I don't know if Java's added them in since, but back then at least there was no getters and setters or properties in Java. Um, so you know, a couple of things learning C sharp where, especially nowadays, there's a dozen different ways to do the same thing. <laughs> and so, uh, coming to the C sharp world and like, what, what is this? Like, why wouldn't you just make a public method called get is busy? Like, why do, why do I have a property? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. And then you start using properties and you're like, oh, wait, why was I ever making methods? You're like, Java is so weird, <laughs> but yeah, I always love that because um, it certainly started out with the reputation of like, this is just Microsoft's version of Java. But then unfortunately for Java, it got caught up in Oracle and legal disputes and yeah. it just kind of got put on a shelf for a little bit while C Sharp uh, kind of kept improving and kept uh, pushing out new releases. And so nowadays, very, very different languages, you know, we'll still inspire yeah, each other <laughs> and borrow features from each other but yeah it couldn't be more different nowadays yeah but that's also what like keeps me in .NET is like how fast microsoft is now iterating on this stuff right uh, we have every year a new version then uh, the language is much faster iterated on like the features that you get in c sharp you get them much faster like generics and stuff like that it took java a lot longer to get this in and uh, nowadays i have to say with with records coming and stuff like this um we have records already but uh, like how these <laughs> new features come in uh, that is that is really amazing i think if if microsoft stuck with uh, .NET framework i would have gone i probably would do kotlin or rust <laughs> but <laughs> thankfully they started with .NET core and since then it's really like really enjoyable platform, I would say. I agree. I agree. So, Michael, what uh, we brought you here today to show off all the cool things you're working on. Uh, where where should we start? Yeah, so I'm still working on my hot chocolate GraphQL server, which is getting a lot of attention. So, um, apart from that, I'm at the moment working on uh, quite more abstract topics like. Uh, a project that we call Hot Chocolate Fusion. Um, I'm not sure yet what logo we will put in and uh, what fusion we, we say. Maybe Hot Chocolate Marshmallow Fusion. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's all about uh, GraphQL and microservices. So um, being able to distribute graphs um, into subgraphs and uh, letting people build subgraphs in GraphQL decentralized. So that's a that a topic uh, that I spent at the moment the most time in, uh, and for graphic newcomers this is totally over the top. 
<lacht> start with the simple stuff, <lacht> start with the monolith, uh, and then when you have really a problem in scaling people, like having too many uh, developers that work really on this monolith, that then it's time to go for these topics. Yeah, but that's that's uh, my current uh, my current main working area. Apart from that, we have tons of other stuff uh, we can have a look at, like Banana Cake Pop. And uh, we have lots of funny names, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or if we zoom out, um, for any of the users out there who have maybe never used GraphQL or never even heard of GraphQL, uh, what what is GraphQL? So that is a question I answer like on a daily basis, you know? <laughs> It's it's basically how I start every conference talk. Um, yeah. So what what is GraphQL, or what why, why did we even come up with something new that challenges uh, things like REST? Or I would not even say challenge, but uh, why did we even need an alternative to REST? So Facebook back in two thousand. Um, 12 or even before when they started with mobile applications they had a problem of efficiency with fetching data between their mobile applications and their backends like when people nowadays think about graphql what they often uh, think is that it was created in the node ecosystem and has a lot to do with javascript javascript for folks uh that is javascript uh, that is graphql but uh this is very far from the truth. Actually, the first GraphQL server was written in Hack. Who knows of you guys what, is what hack? hack is? No. Okay. <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> okay, it's a Facebook's version of PHP. It's a compilable PHP version. Whoa. And uh, yeah, it's called Hack. And that's where how they wrote the first GraphQL server. And actually, like when you see GraphQL is so beloved by front-end engineers. It was actually developed by back-end engineers, or mostly, like Lee Byron did a lot of front-end uh, stuff, but uh, Nick Schrock, the original guy who came up with the idea, he uh, actually was a back-end engineer, like a traditional back-end engineer. Um, so why did they come up with GraphQL? Is to make data fetching between client and um, back and more efficient and also like I would say bring a better relationship between front end and back end engineers because it's not anymore this back end engineer that tells you what to uh, what to fetch it's basically the back end engineer now telling you here's the world pick whatever you want and I will fulfill your needs and that is a paradigm shift so yeah, that's that's why I love it <laughs> yeah as a guy who makes mobile apps, um, yeah, kind of like you said, usually or historically with REST APIs, the back-end, back-end engineers kind of have all the power uh, when it comes to developing and sharing data because unless there's a REST API specifically for what you need, you can't get it. And as somebody who's on the client side making the mobile apps, that was always very frustrating because you either had to kind of jam a square peg through a round hole where you're calling <laughs> this API and it's giving you 10 times more data than you need and it takes forever, but it gives you that those, those two fields you actually need. Um, or 
you have to go to your REST API team and say, okay, I need a new API. It's going to look like this. And here's the shape of the data I need. And then you open up that ticket and you wait a couple of weeks and then you wait a couple more weeks and then maybe they get around to it. Um, whereas, yeah, with GraphQL, it's totally the opposite because the client side, me, the mobile app developer, I can request any shape of data I want. You just, on the back end, tell yeah. me what data is available. Yeah. yeah. And I can read it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, the backend engineer, I can bring the the other side of the perspective. I was, okay, you want me yet another API or you want me to change the API, but I've already that many clients consuming my API. And if I change the API, it will be a mess because I need to figure out if, if I will uh, I won't break something. So that's also why when I've discovered GraphQL, I love GraphQL because it solves this kind of issue. Okay. Um, just pick what you want and yeah. you will get it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also think about this, uh, like, um, there's, there's this one thing people always say, yeah, okay. Then if, if, if this guy needs now another field, I will just put it in and uh, backend engineers will do that after a couple of uh, iterations. <laughs> Maybe they give you what you want, but think about removing something. That's even the, the, the more complex case. And that actually was the case that Facebook had. So they had all these APIs, these REST APIs for their uh, web application. But then the mobile application has a much smaller viewport and they needed less information. And now to tell people, remove this bit of information, we no longer need it or we don't need it for this case. What is the impact of removing that from a request? Or even if you don't need it in any of your applications anymore uh, and you say, okay, let's remove this part from our uh, from our backend. That's a very, very difficult um thing to do, right? Because you don't know what you really break by removing things. And with GraphQL, you don't have this problem because if you have this new application part or this new component or whatever, you just don't request that field and uh, then this will be there. But I mean, GraphQL is a lot more than just uh, uh, a very intelligent uh, sparse field generator. Uh, it's actually <laughs> a, a very strong type system. Uh, that is behind that and lets you also write um, front-end components in a completely different uh, way. But uh, yeah, maybe I show how that how you set up a GraphQL server and um, how you query it, and then people get more into what GraphQL is. Sure. If you show sure. my screen, okay. That is the wrong screen I'm sharing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me do that again. Share screen, uh, window, and then it's this guy. Okay. Much better. Yeah, that's, that, that looks much better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is an empty project so far. And uh, let's, let's build a, a simple GraphQL server. And the first thing we need to for GraphQL, so because GraphQL is transport agnostic, is basically just create a web server. And let's see what version we are using here from .NET. Okay. Ooh, .NET 8 preview. All right. That, that should suffice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, just need to know. In, uh, I'm, I'm famous at combining the wrong versions. 
uh, the wrong preview versions <laughs> everything breaks but let's try it okay uh, uh, this is the the first year where i have it download the very first preview and i haven't even tried out dotnet 8 yet uh but yeah normally i've got preview one preview two preview three preview four installed and yeah they all get mad at each other on your box <laughs> yeah but <laughs> yeah that's a developer's life right <laughs> right uh, okay to to create a new new web server dotnet new web is all we need if we do that we get an empty project here uh, and that's basically a hello world. It's not even a REST API, right? If I run that, it will just say hello, hello world, not even an API. And Brenton, I think I have to change my screen again because I'm sharing a window instead of, ah, okay. You know? I should know how to how that works. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, I get it though. Anytime I live stream on the internet, I'm always like, I'm going to share the window instead of the screen because you never know what's going to pop up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So we have, we're calling this and we just get hello world. So not impressive. This is basically uh, one of the simplest ASP.NET core templates you can pick here. And it has nothing into it. So let's make it a GraphQL server. So in GraphQL, there's uh, really one important aspect and that we call operations. So operations is how we get to our data. We basically have three operations, query, mutation, and subscription. And uh, query is basically side effect free reads onto our system and mutations is changing data. Subscription is then real time data. What I'm, I'm going to do here is now uh, doing a query. So in order to do a query, we in Hot Chocolate can just create a simple class in .NET. So we can just write here a uh, new class. We call it query. We could also call it differently. It doesn't matter. But uh, for the sake of read readability, let's call it query. And to make it a hello world, for instance, we're going to just say we introduce here a method that returns a string and is called hello world. And maybe we just paste, uh, pass in here an argument. And actually, GitHub Copilot also knows my demo. So I can just <laughs> tap on. <laughs> very convenient. Uh, so we have here a very uh, basic, uh, um, we call that a resolver in GraphQL, uh, a method in C-sharp. And basically it just constructs here a string and returns it. So how do we make this a real GraphQL server? It's basically adding a package. Let's do that. And let's try to take something that is released. Okay. So the package I added here is the hotchocolate.asp.net core package and it's in version 13.2. And uh, now we have everything that we need for a GraphQL server. We have our query type here. We have our new package here. And let me just quickly reload uh, VS Code. So we have also indexed everything that we need from the package size. And then we can add the GraphQL server. So the GraphQL server is added through the builder. So we say builder services at GraphQL server. And then we say here at query type and we reference this query class here. 
So there's one more thing, because this is actually a valid GraphQL server, and GraphQL servers are transport agnostic. To serve it over uh, web, we can uh, add a transport middleware here, and Hot Chocolate comes out of the box with one that basically serves all your GraphQL needs, and that's called uh, Map GraphQL down here. And with that, we are done. That is a full GraphQL server that you see here in one uh, code file. Let's maybe run it and then see how that uh, works out in the browser. So I'm yeah, and, getting and to kind of translate what's going on. Um, if we've if we've only worked in REST, it's almost like we've just created a get API um, that'll return hello world or hello and then whatever value we pass into it. Is that is that kind of close? Yeah, it's kind of close, but it's better. <laughs> <laughs> because it's GraphQL. <laughs> no. Uh, so if I'm if I'm here on the root, you can see I get a 404. Because GraphQL by default serves on the GraphQL route that is uh, written down in the GraphQL transport specification. It's not a must, you can put it on the um on the root, but uh it's good practice to put it on the GraphQL route. So we do it by default. So when we open that, you can see we are greeted by Banana Cake Pop. It's our GraphQL IDE, and it allows us to explore the GraphQL API itself and also store our documents that we create for GraphQL and so on. So I can click here on Create Document, and that opens up a new document uh, where I can explore the API. And uh, there are three important things. I have here the operations. That is what I can write, GraphQL source code, if you will. And then I have here the schema reference. And that's where we dive into because we want to see what our server actually is capable of. And what we can see here is that we have a class called query. That's the class that we created here. And we also have here the exact method that we wrote, hello world. And this hello world has here an argument name, which also has the default. And it also returns here a string. So this is a one-to-one -one match actually of my C-sharp method. And that's why it's actually so powerful uh, to create a GraphQL server because you basically create C-sharp and then we infer it to GraphQL. And this is called the annotation-based approach. And it's actually the original approach Facebook used with a hack servers because they basically had a business layer figured out for Facebook and they wanted to give clients the power to pick and choose from that business layer what you what they needed for a certain component in their mobile application. Um, and that's basically the, the base capability of GraphQL. You write your business layer, then we infer it to GraphQL and you can uh, use it over the wire. And that gives you so much more power because GraphQL has constructs like interfaces, like unions, uh, enums, all the type constructs that you have in C-sharp and more because we don't even have unions in C-sharp yet. But okay, let's... Yeah. Well, real quick, Mark, I want to... Uh to draw some parallels again for if you've never seen GraphQL before, like what, what is even going on here? Cause there's so much power in what you've just done <laughs> and what we're showing off on the screen. Yeah. Cause um, 
So for me, if I was exploring a, a REST API, um, first, I would have to go find its documentation. So hopefully, the developers who created that REST API have kept their docs up to date, or they use a tool like, um, oh gosh, what's the popular one that kind of writes the docs for you? Uh, Swagger. Yeah, is, is it Swagger? Swagger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, it starts the desk. Uh, yeah. So, or you could do Swagger, and it kind of uses the X C sharp XML to um, keep your docs up to date for you. Um, but what we're looking at here is um, Michael didn't didn't write any docs. Uh, he just wrote some code. He just created a what we call a resolver in GraphQL, which is kind of like your kind of like an API endpoint in REST. Um, and then we got all this for free. So what's what's really cool with GraphQL because it is all um, it's everything's very defined on the server. Like Michael mentioned, there's this strong type um, interface where as backend engineers, we ex we describe exactly what we serve to the clients. Well, tools like Banana Cake Pop that we're looking at here are smart enough to go, okay, well, the engineers have already described everything and all the data that you can request and that you can do on the server. So what if we just crawl that information and then just surface it here? So what we're getting is basically... The GraphQL server provides your documentation for free. Um, now we can we could be better developers. Like there's ways to <laughs> there's a like I use the doc uh, description annotation in C sharp where we could add a description to the API and you know here it says no description <laughs> in Banana Cake Pop, but you know we could provide a little bit more help. But what's really cool is without having to write any documentation the end user, the client would see this all for free. They would be able to come here and see that we have a GraphQL API where we can call this uh, hello world and we can get back a string and we didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> and the other thing I love here, which is super, super powerful and hot chocolate is the only library I'm aware of that does this for us is as C sharp developers, um, we just write some C sharp code like, Michael just created the class called query, created the method called hello world. Uh, we could put a property in here if we wanted to. Uh, and basically hot chocolate figures out how to convert that into GraphQL for us. Like there's a whole GraphQL specification that this has to align to. And what hot chocolate's doing here is going, oh, well, you created public string hello world. Um, I see that this is returning a non-nullable string. So I'll create a GraphQL endpoint here that also returns a non-nullable string. And I see that you are passing in a string, but you've also provided um, like it's a, it's an optional <laughs> parameter that we call or how we is how we call it in C sharp. And again, Hot Chocolate's just kind of inferred that. And the reason I love this, <laughs> I wanted to highlight this is it saves you so much code. Uh, there's other GraphQL libraries out there in .NET that work great. I've built apps using them, um, completely satisfied, no bugs, no problems. But it's very much, those libraries are so much more verbose because they make you essentially define the GraphQL specification in C Sharp. Whereas what I love about Hot Chocolate is it kind of flips that around and says, hey, you just write the C Sharp and then we'll figure it out from there. Like you don't really have to know these that GraphQL has resolvers and you don't really have to know how GraphQL works under the hood. If you just know how to write GraphQL and you can 
describe how you want to surface this data, then we'll take care of the rest. So with just a couple lines of code, like Michael showing off here, like, yeah, it's a sample app and there's only 20 lines of code. But um, if I compare this to sample apps I've made for other .NET GraphQL libraries, we're talking hundreds of lines of code just for the same simple <laughs> yeah. sample. So super, super powerful stuff here. Uh, Michael, would you be offended if I call uh, uh, or chocolate the WCF of GraphQL? Because it reminds <laughs> oh me when I was, <laughs> you know, when I was using WCF and I was just writing a piece of code and it built every soap, soap stuff for me and I didn't have to care about it. So I know it's quite old school, but the the easiness to use Chocolate to generate a GraphQL API, it's to me, a quite old guy, uh, it's look, it looks like the same benefits. Um, write your code and we will take care of the all the uh, plumbery about, uh, of the of the protocol. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's also a main aspect. We want to, like, when I get when I wrote this library, it was not like uh, I want to write a GraphQL server. It was actually uh, like I was a contractor back in that time. And uh, the team lead said to me, figure out what GraphQL is. We want to use GraphQL. We have no clue what GraphQL is, but it sounds cool. Let's do it. <laughs> and like as a contractor, this is a good uh, good thing. Like okay, let's figure out this new stuff. <laughs> uh, and um, it was very difficult to do GraphQL back in that time because nobody had actually good libraries for that. And uh, I had to use this library, uh, the, the GraphQL.net at the time, to start building out a prototype. And it was so clumsy that uh, I went and said, okay, we can do it better. Give me two weeks and I have a better <laughs> library. Suffice it to say, two it weeks. didn't take two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I came back half a year later and said, okay, now we have something crappy that starts to work. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but uh, essentially, I, uh, because I had to build projects with that, I always have like the DevX in mind that uh, I want to take away boilerplate from you. And that's why many people uh, love hot chocolate. Absolutely. And I, I love that point. Um, just if, if you're a developer making developer tools, it's super, super important to use them because then you find out where all the, the sharp edges are, where the yeah. developer experience could be better. Or you know, I was um, putting together a demo. I make a library called the .NET MAUI Community Toolkit and was putting together a little demo the other day. And as I started using my own API and was like, well, wait a minute, where's where's this one? <laughs> where's, I expect this to be here as a developer and then was disappointed in myself as the library developer <laughs> that I hadn't implemented it. But yeah, uh, it's really until you use your own libraries, use your own tools, do you really start to find those because it's easy to put something out in the world and be like, this is great, everybody should use it. Um, but then make sure you use it as well. <laughs> quick, quick aside, but... We'll go yeah, but that's a that's a really good point. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, but, but, no, that, that's a really good point, and and that's that you feel that. Like uh, when you mm -hmm. look at Facebook's stuff, they didn't build GraphQL to build GraphQL. They built they built GraphQL for the need that they had for their mobile application. That's why it's a, a good solution. Same as for React, they built React to build uh, Facebook's uh, web uh, application, and that's why many people started. Thinking React is a really good thing because they figured out so many problems. Okay, let's cool. uh, head on. So I have here my operations tab, and I actually can make that bigger. So I'm I'm I did my last conference a week ago. Actually, uh, we all were there, right, <laughs> in Oslo. <laughs> But I somehow forgot all my things that I usually do in presentations, like make everything big. <laughs> uh, <okay>. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, I went here from the schema reference, by the way, back to my operations tab, and let's write a GraphQL query. So a GraphQL query, we call this the shorthand syntax, um, and this is basically a, a query I'm writing here. And the cool thing is that because I have a schema, I also have here IntelliSense, and then I can just pick whatever I want uh, and have from my schema here and push the run button here. And then I get here the result. So the the main thing for GraphQL is when you are from a, when you look at it from a front end perspective. Like I asked here for hello world. Uh, there are other things that I could ask for. Like at the moment, just system fields. I could also ask for the type name I'm executing on. Right then, I get query here. But the thing is, I never get more, and I never get less. So that's guaranteed by the GraphQL execution engine. That means uh, I write here something and the GraphQL server gives me that data in the exact same structure. Like if you look at this part, it's the same exact structure than uh, what I asked for. And that means GraphQL is very predictable for the front-end engineer. And it even protects me from uh, mistakes the server developer does. Like with things like OpenAPI, we have no runtime that evaluates if the schema you looked at from which you generated actually matches to the execution that you're executing against. So you can generate with OpenAPI a client against something uh, and then it gets updated over time and then it doesn't run anymore. That's not possible with GraphQL. I mean, you can also get a mistake, but it's very predictable in the thing that it will tell you Uh, basically, your definition does no longer match to uh, what we say on the server. Okay, the second thing here is I executed hello world and I get back what I expect. Hello world, that is the default. But I also could pass things in because I provided here default. That's why I don't have to provide actually an argument. But I could. I could provide here a name and say hello, Brenton. And then we get back, hello, Brandon, right? This is really like invoking a method on C Sharp. And it's basically also patched through like that. Um, but that's a very flat data structure, not very impressive. Let's maybe add a bit more complexity to that. So that's my typical example. I always do books and authors, but it's a... <laughs> Even even our uh, GitHub copilot knows it. So I have here now a class book. And you can see it has a title that's actually... Ah, 
that's a class. Let, let's make it a record. Let's make it a book record. It's better for demos. Awesome. And then actually let's uh, add another structure here, which is our author. And that has a name. I don't care about the books at the moment. And let's actually put the this guy here. So how do we expose such deeper structures in GraphQL? And it's basically the same thing. I can go here into my query class and we can explore the, uh, expose that. And I could expose it here as book, get book. And then we just, GitHub Copilot is really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, basically I returned here my uh, book and it also filled in some, uh, I don't know, random book. And let's just restart our GraphQL server and uh, rerun that. My old query still works. I only get this back, right? Because I only asked for that. But now I could go here into my schema reference and you can see that's still the old schema. I can refresh that and then you can see here's a new schema and that returns book. By the way, here's a column view and that is better if you have a deeper graph because I can go in my root type here and then drill slowly into my book and then see it also has an author that has a name. Like you can see the invocation structure. And uh, that is also amazing because I only specified query as the one thing for GraphQL and it basically inspected everything that is reachable from that point where we start and uh, exposed me this API. And we can also as easily just query it, right? We can dive into book here, title. If I only want the title, I only get the title. If I want to dive deeper into things, grab the author, the author name, then you basically get that. There's one thing, uh, Ashley Brandon said in the beginning, when we looked at the uh, documentation here, let's go back here, there's no description. And we also infer that. So if I were a good developer <laughs> <laughs> and said, basically, we want to do some uh, generation of a document file. That's basically, so now we're compiling these uh, XML uh, documentation files in C Sharp. Then we could just write here some docs for it. Like, uh, let's do that. Uh, this guy. And uh, this is a uh, hello world. And yeah, that should suffice. Let's run that and hope it works. Uh, it should. And you can see you now this has documentation, right? And it's very natural for sharp developers because I didn't do anything special for GraphQL. It's just uh, the standard mechanism to expose documentation. I could use GraphQL specific uh, things, say, okay, I want to have here this GraphQL documentation. But in most cases, we want to use what we have in C Sharp. And... Um, yeah, I, I don't want to learn this third thing, at least in the beginning. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't even know you could do that. I've always used <laughs> the the attribute, things called like GraphQL description. Yes. Uh, as I said, that that is like if you want to have a, a specific thing that where the documentation for C Sharp might be a different thing that you want to expose over the web, then you can use these uh, specific GraphQL documentation tags. But if if 
you anyway just write one documentation uh, we can just infer it very cool <laughs> see even hey the, the, you, there is another yeah yeah, uh, Mike. Uh, the reason another cool feature, uh, at least for me, I've discovered with GraphQL is uh, the subscription operation. Yeah. Um, can Can you tell us a bit more about the subscription operation? Sure. Let's uh, write. Okay. Let's Let's first write the mutation, because subscriptions often are triggered by uh, mutations. Don't have to be. I'll show you two kinds of subscriptions. Let's write um, maybe. A simple, uh, a simple mutation first. So this is our query uh, class. It's in our server, and actually, uh, yeah, pile it on here. Let's 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 be at one class. So uh, one file. So first, let's introduce a mutation here. And and what's the difference between a mutation and a query? I explain this in a second. So a mutation is is uh, so in GraphQL we have the and it's written down in the specification. We have two things. The query, which is uh, side effect free. So if I call a query, then I shouldn't uh, expect a side effect. Side effects are things where something changes on the server. Like I call maybe hello world and something would persist in the database. That is a side effect, this persisting in the database. It should be like an immutable model on which I read. Uh, sounds abstract, but basically it should just be a select on the database or um, a fetch on a, a REST API that is behind that or whatever. So typically the get in REST, whereas a mutation is causing side effects. So we want to uh, write something to the database. If we go here with the book example and introduced maybe a small repository, yeah, that's uh, this is our books repository. And uh, maybe we have here a method. No, uh, uh, let's. You can see I'm totally coming up with this <laughs> right now. So let's uh, say we have a list or a dictionary. Let's let's put it in the dictionary. And uh, we have here a string as a key. And oh, let's take GUI ID as every good .NET developer does. Um, <laughs> And we have a book here. So this is in memory, I know. But this are our books. This is our backing store. Uh, and maybe we have a little fetch function here, which gives us a numerable of book and returns just the values from our, um, from our dictionary. Okay, now we have another thing that is actually our mutation or the, the thing that we use in our repository to mutate this collection. In this case, we would maybe have here a void that says add book, for instance, and that basically adds our book here. And maybe we just put in a new ID here. Okay. And uh, these are typical setups that you maybe have already in your business logic, right? You have uh, these repositories or services or whatever, or you just use entity framework and iterate against entity framework. It really does no matter for, to us. So if we look from the query part, we would have here an enumerable and maybe call it get books. And then we want to have here our books repository. So since GraphQL is resolver-centric, we have something that we call the resolver-level dependency injection. That basically means uh, we would take the books 
repository and inject it into our reserver because these reserves are potentially executed in parallel and also scoped, uh, so to say. So I could say this is a books repo and then I could uh, call from my books repo the get books here. So now we have professionalized our query actually. So we have a proper repository here, uh, but maybe you ask yourself, how do I know that this is coming from the DI? So there are two ways in Hot Chocolate. We could either annotate this with a service attribute, or we could declare in Hot Chocolate that we have a global service called books repository. And then now we know that this type everywhere where it's injected into our methods here is actually a service that we can resolve from the DI. So let's go to mutations. Uh, because in the mutation case, we could create something like uh, a books mutation where we now insert this books type here as a new thing. And then we would add it here basically to our repository. <coughs> so this uh, would write it to uh, the repository and uh, we are happy with that. And let's try that maybe out. And then uh, we do a subscription to it, which basically would be something like on books added or on books created. So this is a mutation. I added it here. The other thing we have to add is actually the service. <coughs> we just put in the singleton here and let's run that. I hope everybody can follow. <laughs> <laughs> No, I thought so, that was really, really cool that um, it'll do, uh, what do you call it, handler-level dependency injection? Uh, yeah, resolver-level resolver level dependency injection. So we yeah, basically... holy cow. Yeah, the, the, the thing is, um, you don't want to initialize all services that you might never use in your execution because you don't know what you're getting asked for. So by... Um, putting that on the resolver level, we basically know what to create for you for this specific execution context. And that's very efficient. So in this case, uh, we have here books. That's what we created. And if I want to iterate over the books, you can see we have no books as of now. So I could create a new tab here, this guy. And then we could write a mutation. So there's one thing I said in the beginning, this is a shorthand syntax. Shorthand syntax, because actually you would call, you would, in a proper client, you would call it like this, uh, query. This is the operation on which we want to execute this, right? It's the same thing. Still it gives us the same result. And actually we would also give it a proper operation name. So we would call it maybe get books. Uh, there's one other thing I could pass in here that are variables or arguments. And then this actually looks like a method. Like you're creating a method that the server should execute or an operation. In GraphQL, we call that an operation. And then it makes much more sense. It's not just uh, like this uh, projections that you have here or selections. It's actually a fully qualified uh, thing that you have here where you say this is a method to do this for my UI component. Okay, let's take that away again. And let's write the mutation. Actually, we can write the mutation in the same document. Let's do it down here and say create book or add book. 
And then we get here add book because that is a mutation. I don't get it up here in the query. And then you can see what I get back here is actually the book because I returned the book. Typically, we do that in GraphQL. So you could read, you could do the mutation, write the new book, and then refetch all the dynamic data, like a new ID that is generated and stuff like that. So I'm just fetching here the title. And then we pass in the book. And into our book, we pass here. And you can see we have the same structure again. I can pass in here the, I don't know, Brenton, did you write a book some, someday? <laughs> no, I've been asked to write books, but software moves too fast. I've, I've had too many friends write books where as soon as they're published, the books are out of date and they spent 10 months of their life working on it. So yeah. maybe someday, but it probably wouldn't be <laughs> on software if I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> How to get rich. <laughs> Some of these titles always, uh, you know. <laughs> if I knew that, I would be writing books. Uh, maybe that gets you rich. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so you can see I, I have here an object structure where I um, created basically my book. Uh and I did that inline. And the, 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 what I said initially is actually we have here arguments in GraphQL where we could say, actually, this is the book. That is what you want to pass in from your client. Uh, and then we would declare that as a variable. So this actually gets here a dollar sign. And then we would call it this is the book input that we pass into uh, here. And then uh, actually we wouldn't construct GraphQL strings. Um, we would use variables here. And then we would pass in the dynamic data as a JSON graph. So actually here, name. Yeah, same JSON we know and love. Yeah. And uh, then we have the title, which is Maui is great. Okay. Optimust, ah, yes. This is me doing too much GraphQL and forgetting how JSON works. <laughs> okay, and I need commas. Okay. Yeah, the thing is, in GraphQL, you don't need commas. They are optional. <laughs> They're actually white spaces. You could write, like, I can write in a GraphQL thing, like, thousands of commas. And the first thing that a GraphQL puzzle will do is just delete them. So pass huh. our white spaces in GraphQL. You can use them to create ASCII art or whatever. Uh, we just do nothing with them. You can see it still executes. Maui is great. And if we now execute our query, you can see here's our query. So this is mutation. So changing data, whatever, and reading data. So now we get to uh, Francois' uh, question that he has discovered subscriptions. And you got so, about 20 seconds, Michael. We're going to get kicked off the air in just a minute. Okay, uh, let's let's do subscriptions in a super quick thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in order to do subscriptions, we basically have a class. I don't know if I can do it in this, but there's documentation, tons of documentation, and you can read all about that in somewhere. And um, it yeah, and you yeah I don't get you it. De you, de you, you deliver a lot of good workshop at <laughs> a lot of conference to teach people how to yeah. do this. 
Yeah, watch watch one of my conference talks and then <laughs> you will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael, it's been so great having you on the show today. We'll have to we'll have to bring you back so you can show us how to do subscriptions <laughs> and we can talk about you know how we can then publish all this awesome code to to AWS using lambdas or Elastic Beanstalk. So much good stuff here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, for the people out there, where where can they find you? Where can they follow you on the internet? So Twitter is a good option. You can see uh, at my Dame tag. That's my Twitter tag. Also, like uh, I'm on GitHub. Like uh, GitHub, it's a Chili Cream is the organization. You can. Go there, you can find all the projects we are working on. And that's typically the best places to get into touch with me. Fantastic. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today. And stay. make sure you stay tuned. Go ahead and subscribe to the AWS Twitch channel. But we have an awesome episode of Build On Generative AI coming up for you right now. We'll see you next time.